chapter eight of fuel of fire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fuel of fire by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter eight the course of true love the course of true love never ran quite easily since time began so said our wisest english man michael arbuthnot the vicar of tetley was a man of about five-and-forty endowed with exceptional gifts in the first place he was extremely good-looking having brown hair and eyes excellent features and a pale complexion in the second place he was undeniably clever owning an admirable knack in the compiling of sermons and in the third and most important place he was a very good man being distinguished by unusual keenness of spiritual insight he also possessed in full measure that uncommon sense known as common sense but in one of the most important decisions of his life this sense had signally failed him fate and circumstance and the general fitness of things and all such powers as go to the shaping of the ends of men deemed that faith fairfax was the proper wife for michael arbuthnot she was made and fashioned specially to fill the role of a clergyman's wife she had sufficient intellect to appreciate his powers and attainments and sufficient grace to help instead of hindering him in his duties as a parish priest true she was in love with lawrence baxendale but her affection was a very early growth and was not returned and love whatever poets may say to the contrary is not a flower which flourishes in arctic regions although the course of the truest love may be a stony channel with countless rocks ahead the stream of inferior quality which runs smoothly along neat and artificial canals is not without its compensations real romance has its moments compared with which commonplace attachments become flat stale and unprofitable it opens the gate into a fairyland which must forever put into the shade all the ordinary comforts of the dusty highway who that has once danced in a fairy ring wants to jingle up and down the road in a tram-car and who that has once been dazzled by the light that never was on sea or land can go into ecstasies over incandescent gas nevertheless tram-cars and incandescent gas have their uses and for those people who have never caught glimpses of some better thing they are very excellent inventions indeed it is not to be denied that when the world has been well lost for love they who have thus lost it gain their own souls in exchange and enter into life's holy of holies but when love has been well lost for the world there are compensations likewise the parisian style of the trousseau and the solid nature of the wedding presents are capable of affording a joy which the more romantic lovers could in no way enter into or appreciate so that the wise and the foolish are both happy after their kind and which of them is wise and which each foolish man must decide for himself and each woman also but mr arbuthnot 
either fortunately or unfortunately that is a moot point was of the romantic manner of man who is set upon the marrying of the woman of his choice and not the woman whom his world has chosen for him and consequently that rebellious heart of his inclined toward nora burton and not toward faith fairfax and whither his heart inclined there michael himself followed his world blamed him even more for loving nora burton than for not loving faith fairfax as a matter of fact it always does seem worse to do those things one ought not to have done than merely to leave undone those things one ought to have done although the general confession thinks differently and puts the two sins on the same level and his world went even further it decreed that if mr arbuthnot must so far forget himself and his sacred calling as to fall in love with a burton at all nancy rather than nora was the one for him nevertheless it is possible though it seems both ungrateful and presumptuous to suggest such a possibility when we consider how generous and unsparing our friends and neighbours always are in meeting out condemnation upon our past and counsel with regard to our future actions that mr arbuthnot knew his own business best now it may be taken as an axiom that if a man is a good son and still more a good brother that man will be a good husband and any woman is safe in entrusting her happiness to him until death them do part with an absolute certainty that her trust will not be betrayed but on the other hand strange to say it does not follow that a good daughter and sister will necessarily make a good wife she may or she may not in fact very often the role is reversed the reason for this lies in the deep-rooted difference between a ruling and a subject race if a man has learned to govern wisely and kindly the woman of his father's household he will wisely and kindly govern the women of his own but if a woman has submitted herself with all meekness for the first term of her natural life she grows weary of subjection and wants to reign in her turn therefore in all probability the most dutiful daughter will make the most wilful wife while the revolting daughter who has implicitly disobeyed all her father's commands will be as tired of rebellion as her gentler sister is of subjection and will settle down quite meekly into double harness in the same way it is a noticeable fact that the naturally bad-tempered woman is amiable toward nobody except the man she loves while the naturally good-tempered woman is amiable toward everybody except the man she loves which proves that to the normal woman the world is divided into two unequal parts to which she shows the two directly opposite sides of herself the man she loves being the larger half and everybody and everything else the other but after marriage the real nature of the woman reasserts itself thenceforward the naturally good-tempered woman is good-tempered and the naturally bad-tempered woman bad-tempered to the end of the chapter wherefore it behooves the man who is wooing to walk circumspectly and with wide-open eyes although nancy was the more amiable and adaptable sister in the home life nora was the easier to get on with 
from a lover's point of view as far as in her lay nor provided that the course of true love should run smooth but nancy amused herself by making artificial little rapids and shallows in case nature had not supplied sufficient excitement for her in this respect she loved to tease lawrence in and out of season and to rouse his jealousy she was always inventing some excuse for a quarrel and making it up again and he never delivered himself of the simplest statement that she did not openly dispute nor on the other hand sweetly obeyed the law mr arbuthnot laid down and contented herself and him by letting him make up for her that clever mind of hers he had not yet told her that he loved her but she was perfectly cognizant of the fact and having once grasped it would never again doubt it as nancy would have done fifty times a day and would thoroughly have enjoyed the doubts too no nancy was not altogether easy sailing but she was great fun and there are men who enjoy amusement more than ease what are you thinking about mr arbuthnot nora inquired of the vicar one afternoon as he and she were walking together from tetley to wayside well to tell the truth i was wondering how far short of our ideal we may fall without being in any way to blame one cannot always be at one's best that is impossible but i wonder how far below one's best one's daily walk and conversation may lie i understand what you mean you are wondering how many half-holidays we may take from the ideal without playing truant exactly argued the vicar with a smile and half-holidays are absolutely necessary aren't they they are but on the other hand the ideal ought to tinge our half-holidays if we have once seen the heavenly vision we must never be disobedient to it you know nora was quick to catch his idea you mean that though we can't always be looking at the vision we mustn't forget that we have once seen it she said yes that is exactly what i do mean and i think it is a little difficult to hit upon the happy medium between disobeying the heavenly vision on the one hand and dwelling upon it in exclusion to our daily duties on the other which of the two evils do you think the least undoubtedly the latter if one has ever seen the best of anything in love or life or art as well as in religion for i believe the heavenly vision comes to us in innumerable ways it is sin for us not to obey it we need not be always thinking about it but we must never be disobedient to it therefore it seems to me that the few among us to whom it is granted to see the best in any walk of life have duties entailed upon us from which ordinary men and women are exempt then we have to pay even for our heavenly visions said nora with a sigh we have there is an old heathen saying that the gods give nothing they only sell and i believe there is some truth in it we can get nothing for nothing in this world and i think it is a very good thing that we can't thus michael taught and nora listened and in the process they grew to know and love each other better every day it happened that while these two were holding sweet converse on the road from tetley to wayside lawrence and nancy were holding anything but sweet converse on their way back from baxendale hall 
and the front of their offending was as follows a friend of anthony bertie crawshay by name had been spending a few days at wayside nominally with anthony but actually with anthony's cousin there is no use disguising the fact that nancy had flirted outrageously with this young man actuated thereto by two powerful reasons first by a natural desire to make life pleasant to herself secondly by an equally natural if less laudable one to make it unpleasant to lawrence baxendale and in both respects she had succeeded beyond her utmost expectations the flirtation had amused her and annoyed lawrence more than she had dared to hope and consequently she was in high spirits i haven't seen you for ages she exclaimed after she and lawrence had greeted each other in the park she with an extreme pleasantness which was meant to be unpleasant and he with excessive politeness which was intended to be rude it is at least two hundred and seventy-five years since we met is it i hadn't noticed it miss burton replied lawrence stiffly you knew that exactly four days three hours and twenty-five minutes had elapsed since he last set eyes on nancy how are you she inquired with engaging sweetness i'm all right thank you was the response with no sweetness at all are you i'm so glad i ask because you don't look particularly grand you know i'm afraid you've been doing too much this hot weather and though it is very jolly it takes it out of one the weather seems to me perfect and i can assure you miss burton that your anxiety as to my health is entirely misplaced i never felt better in my life he really was very disagreeable but then what right had a girl to go about with an ass of a fellow such as crawshay for three days and behave as if she liked it he asked himself in excuse you mean you never felt worse miss nancy said to herself but aloud she merely remarked with the utmost suavity it is so nice to see you again do you know we haven't met for such centuries that i'd forgotten the colour of your hair and the shape of your nose i really had i'm flattered to find that you waste time in striving to recall my uninteresting features but believe me you make a mistake they are not worth remembering nancy was delighted lawrence was even angrier than she had expected him to be oh your nose is well worth remembering it is such a nice shape you don't do it justice its loveliness increases and it will never pass into nothingness according to keats but though i did forget the shape of your nose i didn't forget you because i've been telling bertie crawshay all about you and that has served to keep my memory green lawrence bowed thank you i am however as unworthy of mr crawshay's notice as of yours so are you and he could not find a more interesting subject of conversation than myself oh but we could heaps upon heaps and much more interesting but you happen to crop up now and then among the rest then i have no more to say lawrence was very angry he had held nancy too sacred to be discussed even between himself and his mother and in return nancy had talked him over with this young jackanapes it really was unpardonable and he had no intention of pardoning it so much for the futility of masculine intentions what no more to say when you haven't seen me for a whole week well you are a most disappointing person i expected you to have no end to tell me after this long separation 
yes i am disappointing enough but your error lay in expecting too much of me you know blessed he that expecteth nothing for he shall not be disappointed that is my favourite beatitude nancy's blue eyes appeared to be full of sympathy and interest then do you ever feel disappointed in people too mr baxendale oh i am so sorry yes lawrence was right she really was unpardonable pray do not waste upon me sympathy which might be so much better expended he replied with exaggerated ceremony you misunderstood my remark i meant that i don't often meet with disappointment for the simple reason that i am not such a fool as to expect much from people how very interesting and clever of you but don't you find it rather dull not disagreeably so i do not like you expect people who have not seen me for a week to be ready to greet me with an accumulation of brilliance which they have been storing up for me at compound interest in my absence on the contrary i expect them to have forgotten my very existence in the society of more cheerful and congenial companions and unlike you admit i am rarely disappointed they walked on in silence for a minute or two until they came to the gate which separated baxendale park from the lanes then nancy asked in her most airy manner i say shall we go home the long or the short way lawrence looked at his watch without in the least seeing what time it was you must of course please yourself miss burton i must get back home as quickly as possible as i am rather busy to-day then came another silence and nancy knowing to an inch how short was now the distance to the turning where the way to poplar farm branched off from the way to wayside and having an instinctive knowledge that lawrence would say good-bye at that turning and not walk home with her began to think it was time for a change in the tactics of her warfare you seem rather cross to-day she said quite meekly looking up at lawrence with a face out of which the mischief had died lawrence raised his eyebrows in apparent surprise i cross what do you mean miss burton i am afraid i must be very bad-mannered to give you such an idea for which bad manners please accept my humble apologies then aren't you cross nancy's voice was meeker than ever not in the least whatever put such an idea into your head nancy began to get rather frightened it is one thing to play with fire and quite another and a much less agreeable one to burn one's own fingers i thought perhaps you were vexed with me about something i vexed with you impossible i am afraid that too brilliant imagination of yours is leading you astray you are inventing offences on my part for the express purpose of showing resentment on your own i fancy you will find that both offence and resentment are mythical nancy felt it was time to play trumps if she did not wish to lose the game altogether i thought you were vexed with me about bertie crawshay she blurted out it was a most feminine card but lawrence held trumps in his hand too and took her queen with his king my dear miss burton what earthly right have i to dictate to you who shall be and who shall not be your friends it would be gross impertinence on my part to express annoyance at anything which you might think fit to do an impertinence of which i hope i am incapable nancy looked at him sideways with an expression in which fear 
and shame and curiosity were equally blended lawrence happened to turn round at that moment and caught the look he wished he had not seen it as it somewhat weakened his praiseworthy intention to uphold his own dignity in the sight of this most insolent and unfeeling young woman nevertheless he continued as i said before i extremely regret that anything in my unfortunate manner should have led you to believe me guilty of the unpardonable liberty of criticising or even discussing your conduct but if you will overlook it this time i can promise you that for the future i will take care to avoid even the appearance of such an evil nancy had nearly lost the game and she knew it but still she held the ace the question was should she play it or should she uphold her dignity as high as lawrence was now upholding his and throw down the cards refusing to play any longer against so determined an adversary she hesitated a minute and looked round they were in the most secluded of the lanes and nobody not even a scarecrow was in sight yes the ace would have to go there was no doubt of that as far as it was in nancy to be shy of anything she was shy of the strength of her own feelings she generally kept them resolutely out of sight and made a curtain out of her laughter to hide her love but now she laid an entreating little hand on her companion's arm and for the first time in her twenty-two years she allowed her whole heart to well up into her eyes as she raised them to his and whispered lawrence i know i've been a brute won't you forgive me and then and there in spite of his praiseworthy desire to uphold his own dignity in spite of his justifiable intention to properly punish her unbecoming behaviour in spite of his laudable decision to tell no woman of his love until he was in a position to marry her lawrence baxendale suddenly took nancy in his arms and covered her face with kisses my darling he murmured i love you i love you it was i who was the brute but i shouldn't have been if i had not cared for you so much and been so confoundedly jealous nancy laughed as well as she could in the circumstances you silly boy were you very jealous rather couldn't you see it distinctly a blind bat could have seen it with his eyes shut and do you know i think jealousy is my favourite virtue in a man when it's about me of course i mean and i'm a brute to make love to you now considering that i'm such a poor beggar i shan't be able to ask you to marry me for years and years probably but i simply couldn't help it when you looked at me like that then do you love me very much my darling i adore you after another hiatus in the conversation lawrence said you haven't told me yet that you love me sweetheart nancy do you love me then nancy put her two hands on his shoulders and pushed him away from her looking him full in the face with her heart still in her eyes i love you with all my heart and soul and strength and i always shall love you and there never has been and never will be any man in the world for me except you and now let us be funny again and forget that we're so badly in love so the ace won the trick after all End of chapter eight